Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. This is podcast number 156. We got Mr. Scott Ball, who is the 2021 WSOP POI winner of the No Limit. So for the No Limit, of course, there's mixed games and other games, but for the actual just No Limit Hold'em, he was the number one, one, two bracelets. Scott, welcome in. Thanks, man. It's uh, an honor to be here, man. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, thank you for coming back. I know uh, as we're celebrating you and in, in such a, a, an achievement, I know you know you run a, a major business, you're a busy guy, you got a lot going on, and to come out and actually win uh, two open events with the 5K uh, I believe six was a 5K six max and the 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 one drop, which had, I mean, the 1,111, the charity aspect of the term. I'll take a look real quick here. I mean, it's pretty impressive for you to, to, to come in, knock this down. I do want to hear about what you've been doing. Yeah, six-handed as well. 5K, very tough event. Six-handed, hold them, as we know, very tough. Uh, you, you know, can't hide. You're basically in the action every hand. You just, it's very different than nine-handed or some 10-handed events. So yeah, big congrats to you. And although... Uh, we are here to celebrate. I want to talk about your your successes. I also, you know, part of the reason you reached out to me, we were talking about getting on the pod. There's a lot of stuff going around. Your name's been thrown around in a in a variety of ways for for, for all the success and huge stuff. But also, you've been, you know, it's, you've been in and there's been things that have been said. I've seen, you know, Mike Matisau and Doug Polk and Tonka and others, and just in general saying some things. And I also had, you know, people that I respect and pillars of the poker community. I mean, these are some of the biggest names in poker. But then also guys like Phil Helmuth. Uh, Phil Nagy, when there was some stuff said about what happened and they came out and actually publicly said this is not the case. So it's a lot, you know, for me, I know you for a long time. You were the head of Twitch Poker when mm-hmm. it was coming up with Jason Somerville. I, I started streaming a lot you know, during this early time. So I know you from there. Um, I've always had good experience with you. And, um, you know, I, I just I don't like hearing stuff that that I don't like to hear. So I want to, you know, hear your side and, and kind of just kind of let you talk about it. And then I'll ask some more questions, but you know, maybe you could just address some of these different, I call it accusations, allegations and, and what's going on here. Yeah, sure. So look, I'm, 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 you, these are two very different things. So the Doug and the Tonka stuff is super simple. So let me go there first, then I'll address the mic podcast second. Um, so the first thing is, is Doug and Tonka, Doug, I don't remember what the tweet said exactly, but it was something like, Guy's a real dick. Um, don't remember or can't say he's a scammer, but guy's a real dick. Uh, when I worked at Twitch and I first got put into this space, it was a long time ago. And if I'm super honest, in over the last several years, I've grown a lot. I was very insecure and immature and put in a situation where I was thrust into this new world amongst the most elite of the world on the content side, on the player side at this time, Doug. I think he was probably the best heads up number player in the world at this time. Someone I really like looked up to. And then you had the Jason Somervilles and Jeff Grosses and everyone else. And I really was not, did not always handle myself as well as I should have was super immature and secure. Definitely said some things I shouldn't have said to try to be friends with everyone. When the reality was with the job I had at the time, that was not possible. So when Doug says that I used to be an asshole and talk says I used to be an asshole there, they're, they're totally right. There was times back then where I was certainly immature and insecure and made some mistakes and I'm not necessarily uh, mad at myself for having made these mistakes because that's how we live and learn. But they have every right to say that. And my bad, we're not that person anymore. Um, 
Jeff, you've known me for a long time. You know, you've like I said this earlier, you've seen me for for better or for worse, right? And people change. This is we're talking five, five, six, seven years ago stuff. Uh, so my let, let, me just, let me interject for one second because, like, in terms in that regard, right? Like, I remember coming to Twitch Poker and it was very competitive. It's King of the Mountain. You know, it's not like YouTube or some other stuff where it's literally like you want to be the top one or top, you know, because that's where people go and watch. So that's a lot of pressure. And, and also, I'm sure, as you said, there's all these people coming to you. They want front page time. They want to get this. They want to get that. And it's like you said, there's big personalities and some people coming into Twitch, some that like had an established career, some that are had been working hard and building. But, um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's got to be hard, right? Because you can't the reality is you can't make everyone happy. So, you know, like what I hear yeah. you saying is maybe overpromised or would say some things and then you maybe tried or just didn't work out. Cause I know Tonka, like again, Doug and Tonka, two of the pillars, you know, biggest names in poker and they're all right streaming playing. And when they say these kind of things, like, you know, th these guys obviously trust, you know, they, they're, they're trying their best. I think, I believe you're trying your best uh, in, in, in a lot of these spots. So it's like, it's gotta be a little frustrating, but to hear you kind of, I guess, apologize or say like, look, you would have done things maybe differently or not as well as you did. I mean, that, I think that's, I don't know what else they can want. You know, it's a long time ago. Um, and you're, you're, you know, taking ownership of that because yeah, I trust those guys and, and, um, you know, respect their opinions. So, you know, and it's communication, like and communication, communicating well and efficiently is really hard. And it's something that like I've gotten much better at and certainly was not good at certainly didn't have the level of professionalism sometimes I should have had, um, back then. And they're, they're, they're great content creators. I have a lot of respect for them both. Um, I've reached out to one of them multiple times and said, Hey man, like, Apologies. I didn't even know one of these people was mad at me until recently, but I reached out to the other one that I knew was frustrated and said, Hey, apologies. I would love to buy you a beer and shake your hand one day and talk about it in person if you want to. And they just don't respond. So, so, so that's okay. But uh, I, I don't know. It's uh, this is a long time ago thing. And I didn't like, and uh, I definitely own the fact that I could have handled myself better in certain spots. And I definitely have improved that aspect of my life a great deal since then. Well, for sure. All right. Well, that's, you know, that's, yeah, it's great to hear. And I, I would love to maybe later in the podcast, spend a little more time on that early days in Twitch and how exciting and different it was and for you to be in charge and you know, how it's moving so fast. And, and also I think a lot of it's learning too, right? You don't know, you know, or maybe there's a pack, you know, you try to, Oh, I want to do this, or I think I get this, but then they're like, Hey, you only get so much allotment. So love to go into some more intricacies of that yeah, process. For and what sure. that looks like, Cause that's gotta be very interesting and, and fun to be on the, the, the cutting edge there. But um, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. And then, like you kind of back then we didn't even have processes so we could talk about that later like back then there was no processes a lot of times it was like hey you've got 30 hours this month you book everything and it's like actually no you have 18 just kidding <laughs> right no, 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 kind of so, so, well, i'm sure it's much more figured out now this is a long time ago i've been gone for a long time so they've evolved for sure um, um so yeah i throw you off track so in terms of the other stuff all right so there's kind of some of the Twitch stuff and some people maybe didn't feel so great about things that were happening. What about, yeah, give me some other, there's a, there's a couple things on the, on the docket there. Give me the, the current uh, sort of other accusations or what some people were saying and, and then we can. Yeah. So, so as a disclaimer in this stuff, um, when you talk about Phil Helmuth and Phil Nagy coming out and saying that this stuff isn't true, they were people that actually played in my game. So there's a lot of misconceptions with, with what was said. Um, part of this was that I stole like money from Phil Helmuth um, I made a tweet longer. Um, I know you have it. Um, was, I posted a video from Phil saying that I've never stolen money from him. Um, Phil's an investor in my business and proud to be here and um, a, a great shareholder. Phil contributes a lot of value to the company. He's brought us new business. He's brought us clients. He's brought us greatest idea, great ideas. All these things happen to be here. I uh, was told that I got Phil Maggie like, wasted and took advantage of him three-handed in the game. Um, 
if you read this text from Phil Nagy, um, this came obviously after the podcast. I, I clearly did not actually, when he may have been drinking a little bit too much, I actually called him and told him to quit. This doesn't make sense. And he said, no, I want to play. And I said, well, you're a grown man. So be a grown man. Um, Nagy also says the fact that like Mike Mattisau never was never dealt the hand in my game. I didn't kick Mike Mattisau out of a game. The way my game started last year, um, I, I, Phil Helm, we've had a private game. He brought me in as one of his CEOs. Um, I played it for a while. Um, eventually, I, I don't remember how exactly, but I was asked to help oversee the game. There is, I don't want to drop names and say anything negative about anyone because I'm not here to do that. Um, unless these are people that like names that have publicly said stuff with me, like Mike. Um, there is Mike and another uh, professional poker player in the game that were not easy personalities for me to deal with. We clashed a little bit. Mike had actually won some money in Helmuth's game, um, then lost a little bit and said, I don't want to play. I shouldn't be playing this game. It's too big. I just accumulated a pretty significant amount of money, which you did, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I, I should be self-excluded from this game for a little while because I can't afford to lose at these stakes. The swings are too big. The game's gotten too big. Um, the other personality was just someone that was very abrasive and would say things sometimes that like we're like kind of like fighting words is how I put it. Um, so I said, look, Phil, I'm not going to run a game with these, with these characters as, as Mike wanted to come back. Um, our personalities clash a little bit. It's very difficult. So Phil had a, 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 Phil had a game that Mike Mattisau and this other player and a few of their friends took over. And then I said, but I'll go run another game. that's going to be a little bit bigger and anyone can play whatever game they want to. So I started my own game. Mike Mattisau never played a hand in the Scott Ball game. Um, the WhatsApp group was called Scott Ball 10 20 40. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was my game. Um, I don't think anyone that actually played in my game has said anything negative about it publicly. Um, I could be wrong, but I haven't seen anyone. So when people like Mike actually come after me and say things about the game, they, they weren't a part of the game. The, the Phil Nagy drinking thing, like he wasn't in that game. None of his friends were really in that game. Um, these are all things that are like he said, she said stuff. Now, when I ran this game, there is some things I definitely wish I did differently, um, specifically on the communication side. Um, I had pieces of people um, that I didn't like overly disclose. I didn't share with everyone. Um, in high stakes poker, this is like unbelievably common. I don't think there's a lot of these big private games where, where people don't either have big swaps or hosts have pieces of people. I think this is like pretty common amongst the culture. If you go into poker, go, for example, and look at a random 50 K that's running, there's so many swaps and going around there that like you could be at a table where everyone has 5% of each other and, and they're, you're against all of them and not know this. Um, eventually like, like they're just things I didn't communicate as well as I should have. Um, eventually there was going to like, like a, like a small rake that I was going to implement because I was paying an accountant to help run the books in the game and, run it all. And uh, I had COVID when this all happened, like quite bad. Um, and I did not communicate this well enough. I delegated this to be communicated and it wasn't communicated well. Um, and people were upset by it, which is they have every right to be. Um, so there's definitely things that I wish I could have done better. Like that being said, like I, I, I've never, had never ran a game before. Um, this was very new to me. I'm, I'm a CEO first, CEO president of a company first. Um, I, this is why I stopped running poker games after this because it's really freaking hard. It's so political and it takes so much energy for anyone that's ever ran a private game or been involved in them. The amount of work that goes in behind the scenes is unreal and how aggressive and political and like snaky and sharky it gets. 
this world of poker from my experience is like <clears throat> one of extreme greed. It, it, it's one in which like, like if like one, like one pro that can't play a game feels like you're making the money that they are entitled to make for some weird reason. And one of the things I've learned about like poker in general is like, we're not entitled to anything. No one owes us anything. If you get a seat in a game and get to win, good for you. Congratulations. But if, if I don't, for example, that, that no one else is making money that belongs to me because I know someone in the game, but that's not how that works. Like if you're, if you have the opportunity to get in the game, that's cool. If not, that's fine too. And a lot of, I think a lot of pros in the scene don't like when I say pros, I mean, people specifically, there's a lot of people in this private game space specifically feel a level of entitlement. They shouldn't. And it's just like, it was a world I did not want to be in. So now I don't run any games. Most of my poker I play is like just public online. I'll sit, you know, 25, 50 ACR pretty frequently and play 5k on there and just battle with the best. I play um, on WSOP.com when I'm in Nevada and I play whatever stakes are running against whoever um, I've played a bunch of the higher stakes poker go stuff. I'll go in Aria. I've played three handed with Jason Kuhn and Nick Trangelo because I like to challenge myself and play, play, play the best um, play all the WSOP events. Um, obviously like had a good series, like studied work really hard. And I, I've personally found like more joy in like just being able to go play any game wherever that there is no politics involved that I can just sit down and play in. Um, it makes my life much simpler and much more enjoyable. So I've kind of left that space based on everything that happened. Um, Helmuth is still one of my best friends. Phil Nagy is my best friend. Like, like, like these are people that were involved in my game. Um, I've been one of the tweets that Mike Matisau threw out there was, was about me owing money to someone like one of the people he actually named at the time actually owed me money currently when that tweet went out. So there's a lot of backwards stuff going on, a lot of misconceptions, but I'm friends with certain people from that game still. I'm not with others. That's okay, but I don't think anyone feels wrong. My game was stiffed at the end, for example. Let, like, let me ask you as well about the, another thing that and you mentioned. You had heard this said that there was. You're saying that you were worth nine figures, which is a you know a healthy yeah, number. hilarious. That's a lot, that's a a lot healthy of number. <laughs> I, uh, nine figures. Yeah. You know, if those you, you could do it, the seven is a million, eight is ten million, nine is a hundred million. <laughs> uh, that's a big number. So, could you maybe clarify what or you know how that was either what you said or where you heard that from and what that's about? Maybe how that came up. Uh, well, I mean, you've heard this too. A few people have heard this apparently. So, I had someone reached out to me and said, "So and so is I'm not going to name names is." is trying to look in you and investigate you. And um, one of the things that they said was that you're, you've said you're worth nine figures. I'm, I'm not worth nine figures. I'm, I'm doing just fine. Life is good. Um, very fortunate, very blessed, but not quite worth over a hundred million yet. That being said, Endgame, my business is, uh, it's an NPV based business with a, with a very solid valuation. That's, uh, that's, uh, going to be undergoing around here soon. It's going to be raising a very healthy amount. And I do own over 90% of that business, which is very unique as a, as, as a, as a CEO, most CEOs own very small portions of their business by the time they're raising rounds and stuff. Um, I've been able to fund my company through mostly through poker and everything that I saved up with Twitch, Amazon, all that stuff. Um, but I'm not remotely worth, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell everyone here on a podcast that I'm worth, nine figures. I think that's really funny. Um, so I, I also, I also think it's really funny. Just talk about your net worth. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> so, 
So that's pretty bold. To be to, <laughs> to clarify in this in this how this may have come about or whatnot, you said the the in the terms of the nine figures, like your business um, end game, or you believe it is a or the, that's where the, maybe the talk of possibly nine figures came. It's not obviously that you you, you didn't say I, I'm I'm Scott Ball worth nine figures. Like yeah, it's kind yeah, of ridiculous yeah. statement. I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever really heard anyone say like they're personally like like that like worth at a table but um either way so okay so that's where yeah. that's just to clarify because i have heard that as well and i just said again these are things i hear people that i respect that are saying like <laughs> negative things about you and then i hear people that i respect like phil and phil that come out and publicly are saying like well what this is being said is not true in here they're even making a testimony so again i think it's i do think it's important i think it's good for people to be able to talk clarify um you know, put out because via a text or a, a thing or, you know, the game of telephone is very dangerous. It's a very, it's a very imperfected yeah. game. So I, you know, she's again, she's I, I'm trying, trying, trying to be neutral. I like you, Scott. I've known you. I, I got, you know, at the same time when I hear Doug, when I hear Tonk, when I hear others that say things and they're like coming pretty harsh, you know, things that they, I, I believe they believe I want to, yeah, I like to, to kind of clarify and, and, you know, put in the open and, and hear what's going on. So I think, yeah, for sure. The nine figures thing is funny. Cause like, is that, that's not even like the thing to brag about. Like, like, cause if you're worth nine figures, well, well then there's people that are worth 10 figures and there's people that are worth 11 figures. Like, like, it's like, that's like bragging about being ranked like number 9,000 or something. something like that. I don't uh, know. Listen, it's all, it's, it's just it's all relative. It's all, <laughs> it is what it is. I, again, I don't know. I don't know how or what came about. I just hear this stuff tossed around and it's, uh, yeah, I think it's important to. Um, yeah, I, I grew up. I grew up ultra competitive, and I wrestled my whole life. And like one of the things I remember my, my, my like hearing a lot as a kid is like no one remembers like second and third and fourth place. Like when you when you go to a tournament, like everyone remembers first. Like people don't really remember everything else. Like this year's main event, I played it. I, I remember. I know who got first and second, but I don't remember who got third, fourth. I don't remember really anyone else at the final table, to be honest because I'm busy doing my own thing like everyone else and it happens and so focused on that. Like, I don't even remember who gets there. So to brag about something that wouldn't even put you in the top, whatever, just to me, it's really very silly. For sure. Okay. Well, listen, that, those are the main sort of things that uh, I did here or whatever. I think that, you know, we, yeah, we clarify. Is there anything else that you want to, um, you know, is there anything else you want to address or talk about? Or is there anything, any other piece you'd say on that? I mean, again, like I guess there is a no. thread. And it, we yeah. saw Helmy made a, 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 he actually, you know, came out in a, not even just a statement, but a video talking about it. And then we saw that thing with, with Phil. Um, and then I think again, to, to, to recap in terms of Twitch, some of the stuff in the past, you said that you would have liked to handle things differently. You're acknowledging what, what, with these guys and some of these things. And you could see why there were some strong statements from some of these people um, that they weren't happy. Yeah, totally. And, and what, one thing I will say is like um, when, when, I took all the negative energy and like really used it to motivate me. Um, so like all the negative things, like in reality, people like Mike, I wish him nothing but the best health, happiness, prosperity. Um, I hope he's happy right now and exactly where he wants to be in life. Um, all the things that they said, they really just motivated me to like go crush. Um, one of my mentors, um, this guy named John Shipman, he was like one of the most senior guys at Twitch. He's involved in Endgame as well. Um, when all this was happening, he was like, look, just like success is the best revenge. Don't, you don't need to address anything right now, which is why I waited this long. If you ever do address any of this, wait until all eyes are on you. And I studied a ton, just got like the level I got at no limit right now, the level I'm playing at and took it as like, now this is my chance to like go show everyone that I don't 
need any of this crap. This is just me and this is what I'm capable of. And let's go own that. And let's just like success is the best revenge. And it, the, the reason I waited so long to address all this was when I did, I had deleted all social media forever. I had just rebuilt the Twitter right before the series started, um, launched it and then decided like, okay, we want a bracelet. All eyes are on me now. Now's the time. Here you go. Um, and then I just want to drop it. Like it's, 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 it's old. The stuff is like, it's just drama. It's just irrelevant. It's just clickbait crap. Like, like the, the reality is so different than what's been portrayed. And like, everyone keeps saying whatever they want. If, if, if people want to be negative, like you're just going to inspire me to do more and you're going to see me around even more than I already am. So like, <laughs> keep it coming. <laughs> For sure. Well, you did just that. So looking at this WSOP, I mean, pretty, pretty cool. Some big names up there and to finish number one overall in the no limit, um, you know, it was a tight, tight race. Uh, the, the, the main event champion, Corey Aldemar just coming behind you. And, and what does that mean to you to actually win the, the POI for the no limit and, and to grab that bonus of 15K? And, and, you know, tell me a little bit about how was this a goal of yours at all? Or did you even think about it? Or did at what point did you say, hey, I want to maybe I can win this and I'm, I'm going to go for it? Yeah, so uh, one of my uh, a few really close friends in poker, one of them being Anthony Zeno, and and Ant and I talk quite a lot. And as soon as they announced that there was like a no limit POI, like before the series started, I told Ant, I was like, I'm going to win that. Like I just I just need to win that this year because that 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 that's like a meaningful thing that's new. It's never been been a thing before, and and I'm and I'm and I'm, I'm quite good at that game right now, and I would love to earn that title. So I'm going to focus. Every day, I'm going to play every day. I'm going to bring my best to the table every single day. And I'm, I'm going to win that. So when it happened, it was like, well, okay, we, we caught a shot. We did it. And it felt really good. But in a weird way, it wasn't as meaningful when it actually happened as I thought it would be for myself mentally. But that's like a whole other discussion about like life goals and things and what really matters and what doesn't. and Where, where do you want to be? And like, why, why are you doing this? And um, it was really special and really cool. I'm glad I did it. Well, I like ever go out to grind specifically for something like that again with the intention of winning that absolutely not man it's so hard to show up every day for like random tournaments on a tuesday at 11 a.m and juggle everything else in life at the same time um so that won't be my goal again in the future but it definitely was a goal that i set out for this year to achieve and and tell me a bit about what what uh you know is different or what you you've done and with the with the period and you run a business and you have a lot on your plate. So what were you doing specifically? Is it some, you know, again, I guess don't give me, I don't need the exact, you don't have to give me your, your full blueprint playbook, whatever. Is it, was it a coaching program? Was it people you were working with? Was it how you approached the game? What, what, give me like a little bit of an insight on what, what clicked for you to one day say, Hey, I want to study. I want to get better. What, what, what was this process? Give me a little like generic overview on how you did that. Yeah, so I have uh, some some esports friends that are like really really good at cards that know how to that that are, that are very um, studious individuals that sat down with me and like showed me how to use Pio and I just I play a lot of hands online a lot of cash like a ton of cash online and I would take those uh, I started taking a lot of spots and running them studying and realizing like holy crap like what I thought was right is so unbelievably wrong. Um, it's ridiculous. And even now I'm like clearly okay at this game. Um, we're pretty good at this game, I guess. Like I still put spots in pilot. I'm like, wow, I'm so wrong. Um, so I just, I just started to approach the game with a very open mind, realizing that uh, when I was winning in the past, I was probably just running really good and I probably wasn't very good. And I just decided that I wanted to get good at the game and really work towards it. So I had a, 
a few friends that kind of taught me how to study. Um, and I've studied on and off with them a lot by myself, a reasonable amount with them as well. Um, at the first final table for the, the 5K6 max, a couple of them were there. Um, and on my breaks, uh, Steven specifically, we, we, we'd run out and we'd talk about some spots like, hey, our size in here is a little bit off. It's not quite what we need to be doing with these hands. Like, uh, or this is what this person is doing. So this is how we're adjusting. And I've had like a pretty, a very, very small, but very uh, good friend circle. Anthony Zeno um, helped me a lot with like the mental game of all of this stuff. Um, one of the best, best pieces of advice I was given for the whole series is like, look, you're studied a lot, but like some of these like super GTO spots are not GTO spots and you need to play more exploitable and not like level the crap out of yourself in some of these fields. And that was mm-hmm. something that crossed my mind a lot. So I was just like, uh, a lot of time in Pio and a lot of time listening to people that are like way more successful than I am at this game and understand that they are where they are for a reason and taking their advice very seriously and um, really running with it. Nananoko was super supportive and helped me a long time ago, kind of like start to get mediocre and then improve and very supportive too. And just kind of keeping me focused on the right way, right way mentally, even the series, like just even though he's not, wasn't here, obviously, but uh, right way mentally and stuff. So I, I guess that's like the main way. I studied um, in terms of managing the business and everything. I made a lot of sacrifices in the past couple of years to like really focus on these two things. And they've kind of been my entire life. My personal life is pretty lackluster and not the most exciting. I don't go out very much. I don't have a big friend circle that I socialize with. I don't go fishing near as much as I would like to and do these things because I've been very dedicated and committed to just running a, a, the best business that I can run and making sure my shareholders are maximizing their equity, um, including myself, obviously, and being the best poker player I can be. Um, and that's kind of been my entire life. So there's no real blueprint to saturating, like just like being very overly committed to these two things and, and not accepting failure at all whatsoever. Very interesting. And tell me about the transition, I guess. Well, I want to know the transition from Twitch to go to, to Endgame and start this um, this venture and to, to leave, but also like what it was like when you, how did you get into Twitch? How did they, how did you go from what you were doing into Twitch? And then when you were there, you know, what was that like when, you know, Jason Somerville, obviously the original, the OG, um, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's the guy, like how, how did that all come about? Was he already streaming or did you get there? And then we, you brought him, give me that kind of process. Uh, yeah. So Twitch poker was Twitch's like first, like non-endemic vertical. So non-traditional video game. Um, I oversaw that. I did lots of different things at Twitch. So you can ask the multi-pronged question. Um, the real fast answer to the first part is I, I, when I, my, my favorite job I ever had at Twitch was building the community development team. My team there was so good. Everyone was so talented and it was, it was kind of challenging because Twitch kind of naturally grows, but they wanted me to build a team that forced growth at a faster rate for certain categories on Twitch. So like theoretically, if like Activision or Blizzard wanted to grow Blizzard games on Twitch, how do we hire a, Blizzard games outside of esports viewership on Twitch, hire, hire a team, build that out, and then make that work. So it was very challenging and fun. Um, so Endgame is essentially we're a marketing firm that builds communities for brands that want to reach Gen Z and millennial males. And essentially what that means is we're building communities on platforms like Twitch that are around these brands rather than a game itself. And it's super fun. Um, it's what I love doing at Twitch. Help a lot of creators make get closer to making a livable wage and help a lot of creators make a lot of money. And it's, it's great and very fulfilling and rewarding. Um, in terms of Jason Somerville and stuff, Jason was creating a lot of YouTube content at the time. 
And I had met Jason through a StarCraft guy named Gretorp, Andre, and super, he was like an OG uh, non-Korean StarCraft pro playing for a team called Fnatic that was a coach of a team that I had called its Gosu for a while. Um, nicest guy ever. Um, and I uh, met Jason through him. Um, I became kind of a poker fan while I was running, helping run a team called Quantic Gaming, living with a bunch of StarCraft pros. And we would like literally watch poker after dark and old high stakes poker shows on TV after they had practiced, I finished working and play poker for play money. Um, so when Twitch wanted to get into poker and do these other things, I had already had a lot of relationships there. I'd kind of presented it and we decided to do it. Jason was someone I had known that was already creating content on YouTube. I'd known he was very charismatic. I knew his work ethic was like unrivaled. Jason Somerville's work ethic is absurd. That guy works so hard when he decides he's going to do something. Not that everyone else doesn't. He's just like kind of a unique individual in terms of he would just stream like 120 days straight for a minimum of eight hours a day and then take right. like a month off to work like 120 days in a row. Um, I, I still I still think like looking back on my sort of Twitch, you know, when I, I still stream some, but not like when I was doing intensively in 16, 17, 18, you know, seeing Jason's how he did it, like it was just genius. He played one table. He was super dialed in, you know, communicated what he was doing very well. Also, to the, to the, you know, didn't miss much in chat. And, you know, I know the people that I know that are, have been successful uh, overall, I just see everyone, including myself, like playing four, six, eight tables. And like, it's just hard. Cause like, you're not playing your best. You're not really explaining the best, what you're doing per se. And you're also like missing a lot. So I don't know. It, it was kind of uh, the times where I played like one or two tables or two tables, let's say like, it's just a lot cleaner and easier. And I just think that, um, yeah, I think he just got it. Like he really figured out that it was optimal and, and he built, you know, his thing on that. And I just like, I, I give him a lot of props and, and also the seasons, the fact that he understands the consistency and instead of like, Oh, one week on two weeks off or two, three weeks on months off, like just being like, look, here's my schedule. I play, I grind, I'm here. You can count on me. And then I'm going to take a little me time or else you're going to burn out. And he just kind of like, it just seems obvious, right? Like looking back, I was like, man, I'd say how to do it. Like you should do it that way, I think. But um, so, I so what I actually think set Jason apart from most streamers early on is he was really good at setting goals and figuring out exactly what would be the most optimal way to achieve that goal. And I think a lot of poker streamers are in the past or maybe still have this mindset of like, well, I can make money while I'm playing poker. And I can make money on my Twitch subs and ads and I can make sponsorship revenue. I think Jason took the path of like, I'm going to make the biggest damn Twitch stream on Twitch and it's going to make a ton of sponsorship revenue. So if I play less volume and make less dollars from poker itself, I'm still making more dollars long-term from this other avenue, which might be less stressful or in some ways and more stressful than others. But this is the direction you want to, I want to take my life right now. So I think what, I think you're just so good at goal setting and understanding yeah. what she It makes a lot of sense because listen, I'm not saying I'm uh, I'm Chris Mormon or, or Lena or whatever. It's like in reality, it's like I know I'm not like crushing the high stakes uh, tournaments. Like even like so, it's like part of it though. It was I think that the, the 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 part that got lost or the, the 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 hope or the thought process of the other side of it is like if I play six tables of like the biggest stuff, I have a much better chance of a deep big run. But like in reality, I think you're, I personally, I'm not built. When I play six, eight tables, like I just, I feel like I don't play great and it, it just seems to not all work. So like, it's just hard though, especially now, you know, before it was just really stars and now with, with party poker, with, 
with, with ACR, GG, all these sites, there's big guarantees, there's big stuff. It's really hard to like be on a Sunday and be like, oh, I'm going to play one tournament, you know, because like that, it's almost unrealistic. But maybe you could make a rule where you're like Sundays, I'll play four, six, and then all the other days, one or two max. I think that would be, if I could go back, that's kind of what I would do differently because I do think there was, uh, yeah, I think that's just better, right? I, and is that is that how you feel or do you, do you, do you get the For sure. Freaking hard, man. Like, like, yeah. like, like the people that are really good are so good. And if you're doing three things at once, yeah. not in terms of playing, but you're, you're playing, you're, you're, you're trying to interact with the chat. You're trying to make sure all your software is running properly, manage a stream and all someone that's already maybe even better than you. All they're doing is literally focusing on playing their tables. Their edge that they already have is just compounding and becoming larger and larger and larger versus you. So I think that if I think that simplifying as a creator and like playing less tables and focusing yeah. on less things so you can actually make the right proper decisions is really, really important. And the other thing too about deep runs, deep runs definitely make more fun Twitch streams. But what makes tournament poker so successful and like I think the reason like cash game poker was not successful on Twitch really at all um, is, is, is because a, 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 a poker tournament is a story that has a clear start, beginning, middle and end. Um, cash is like a never ending session. And even though you should always see poker as a never ending session in reality, even tournaments, it, 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 as a viewer, it's very easy to view tournaments as, as, as a story. And it's almost like a giant book or collection. Like if you, if you read a novel, every page of the novel is not the most thrilling thing ever. If you watch a movie, every second of Lord of the Rings is not epic, but the epic parts of Lord of the Rings are so epic. You're just like, Oh my God, this is, but it takes a lot of lead up and build up and character development and all these things. So I think when a lot of creators, like I have to have deep runs to grow. It's like, no, actually when you bust early and like, like Kevin Martin during the series, like he was posting how he had a huge downswing at the WSOP. Now he's like crushing online, went back to Canada, I think is where he lives. And like, I think he like won or got second or third or like a big live thing recently. Like that's so cool, but he was open. Like, Hey, I'm losing right now. That's part of his story. And now I'm crushing again. Now I'm winning again. That's part of the story. So. I right. think that like having not as deep runs or is not as bad as people think and it kind of fulfills your, your, your book, so to speak. I do want to say, I, I got a lot of love for Kmart. I think, you know, he's one of the originals on Twitch and, and really watching him get that deal with stars originally and then coming to party, being at GG. And, you know, I remember the controversy when he got that deal, people were outraged. They were like, this is crazy. He's a $20 streamer. No one got it. I think that was sort of like the, like Jamie Staples already had, you know, the deal stars and, this was going on, but like, that was like a big moment to like get someone playing low stakes at that period of time, but then got a deal. And then they started like getting away from like the high roller guys and people that were like, Oh, guys won tournament. It's like, they went to this content kind of model. And, and you know, I think things really shifted. I will also say I got so much love for Kmart, but dude, this, this is like the craziest thing I've ever seen his runs at this local casino. It's like, it's <laughs> I know he's the most, you know, he's, he's obviously, you know, running well and probably playing great there. But I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if the skill levels just like like they're 30 years behind or if he's just that what's happening. But like, I don't know if you've seen it. He literally is like final table one, one, one second for like it's crazy stuff going on there. So uh, congrats to him. And I'm, you know, I'm just going to try to channel that as I go from the WSOP. Yeah. It was really good. To, the first time I'm really going to play since in five diamonds today and just kind of keep that. Yeah. It's local in Vegas. Can I just keep, I just went there now too. That'd be cool. Yeah. And you, and you said, was it snowing? I saw a tweet said snowing there or on your way there. On my way here last night, there were, the flights from San Diego were not going to be a thing because uh, my power was out in San Diego for eight hours yesterday. How does your power go out in San Diego from weather? Like it's San Diego. It's 70 and sunny every day. This is not right. 
Yeah. And, and, and on my way here yesterday, I actually drove out here with my brother. Um, and it was, it was like snow and I can send you a video. It was pretty funny. It was, it was pretty, pretty weird. So, so we were laughing on the way here. We experienced all the weather. We experienced like six, we experienced like 67 degrees and cloudy and had lunch at in and out or whatever. And then like you experienced snow, ice, hail and everything else all in one day. <laughs> and you get to Vegas and it's freezing. <laughs> I came to my house and the house has a lot of tile and stuff. It was like, whoa, it's so cold. <laughs> That's that's pretty crazy. I, I the weather the the weather was uh the weather was very um solid, I thought for a you know, it was, it was nice during the WSOP. Like it was a nice change from being super hot, but also I think for that time of year in Vegas, it was actually abnormally like not well it was warmer than even expected, so it was kind of perfect. But what are your thoughts on the WSOP on that time frame? I mean, it looks like it's gonna be going back to the regular stuff, but do you prefer it personally? which one do you like? Oh man, I mean this series worked out for me. So I like this time of year. Um, no, no, I, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. Cause I just don't like the heat. There's like nothing worse than like going in at 11, busting a tournament by 1245, getting in your car and then like burning your hand on the seatbelt. <laughs> it's like, it's like maximum pain. <laughs> um, there's nothing more tilting than that. So like the heat's kind of crazy. That being said though, I do think that like, there's lots of reasons for the people that want for WSP to be in the summer. A lot of people usually had the justification of like a lot of like parents and stuff have their kids on summer vacation. So they're more able to take little trips themselves so the right. are bigger because of that. But I don't know. I, I like, I, I, I'm sure that they're going to do whatever is best for them and what's ever going to bring the best turnouts. And if moving it back to May through July is what's best for the turnouts and fields and like, they should definitely do that. Um, right. Yeah. I, I, I do think there is, I think, I think overall is great. And the turnouts were, were pretty good. I do think that that obviously is is clear that that's a big difference when people are on their kids are away and they're able to just go or come in and out uh, during that time. Whereas uh, I, I think that's that's the most obvious one, at least. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. A new venue as well. They're moving Bally's Paris, right? The convention center. It's kind of look the Rio. A lot of great memories. Um, I think the space is, is good, right? It's like it just works. The parking, it's a big big area and ever it sort of makes everything smooth it'll be interesting what difference is good though right change it'll be interesting probably a nicer cleaner better venue i think overall it's a stronger property and i think my understanding that i heard is like this 400 table room one room there'll be another thing it's just going to be like really lit up and nice and a little more uh yeah i think it'll be i think it'll be exciting for people to uh to check out a new venue and a new and you know after a while right it's like many years of the same thing so it'll be it'll be cool to uh to, to kind of get a fresh, fresh place for that. Um, wh- wh- okay. So tell me a bit about Endgame and what, why did you decide to start this? How, and explain, you know, cause nine figure potential or, or even where you believe it's at. Give me a little bit of like a look, how that gets valued, how it is. And you know, what's the deal there? Break down Endgame for me. Yeah. So the valuation, the, the valuation comes from, it's, it's an MPV based valuation. So it's about cash flows. Um, it's about booked revenues, received revenues, and just just all th- things like that. Um, forecasting, booked, what's actually what's actually signed and signed off on, what's been paid, when it gets paid, um, all that good stuff. Uh, so, what made me start Endgame? So, when I left Twitch, there's like a lot of talent agencies, and I'm not gonna say they're all the same because they're all they're all different. But generally speaking, most talent agencies focus on what's best for the talent, what's best for themselves as an agency. And what's best for the client spending the money third. Um, and I think that model is really bad for the space fundamentally. I, I think that's why you see like a lot of peripheral companies changing which esports teams they sponsor every 12 or 18 or 24 months exactly when their contract ends, because 
the deals are so weighted for teams sometimes that they can't actually make money. And as a marketing firm, we can focus on what's best for the clients spending the money, what's best for the talent second, and what's best for us third, and earn our money really through repeat business, which is what we do. Like Most of our clients have been clients for a long period of time, and they bring us new things all the time, new challenges to help for us to address. And it's it, it, it makes things more fun and allows people to ingest money in the ecosystem for a much longer period of time. So w- w- someone might make, you know, say 15% less or 10% less than they would expect to make from a deal with like a company in X from X industry or something like that, or Y industry. But it's cool because rather than making that money for one month or one stream or one week, what happens a lot of times they get to make that money for three months or a year or something in between. So then they're making much more money over time and the client spending the money is actually able to profit off of it, which allows them to stay, stick around and put more money in the ecosystem. Because what these businesses need to see is that they can spend money on a platform like Twitch and actually receive return on their investment. Not, and by, by return, I don't just mean like more impressions, more Twitter followers, right. that's stuff that people care about, like, like more Instagram followers, that's something that the business care about. But are, 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 are these new followers, these new, these new consumers actually... But actually converting to consumers of their products, actually spending money. If they're not, it's not really worth much. Um, re, you, you can do all the retargeting advertising you want to do, but it's, 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 it, they have to actually convert to customers that spend money um, in order and, to be profitable. And was this a difficult transition? Obviously, you got to see firsthand. You have relationships with gamers, streamers, you know, understand companies. And sort of you're, you're right immersed in this. Was this was this like an idea you woke up one day and were like, wow, I got to do this? Did someone suggest it to you? Did you know someone else doing something similar or break off? Like what was, you know, you're at a major company, Twitch is what billion dollar Amazon bought, I think for whatever, a billion or almost a billion uh, many years ago. Yeah. It's probably worth way more than that. You got, you got a good role mm-hmm. there. Well, you're actually in charge of like global. Tell me your exact roles. You were, you're in charge of poker. Yeah. So community, uh, poker, community development, helping them do non-endemic vertical things. I did all sorts of different stuff there over the years. I worked there for a long time. Okay. Um, so in terms of transition, I was kind of encouraged by my mentors there, um, mainly Kevin Lynn and John Shipman and uh, JT Gleason, um, to like, hey man, like kind of outgrowing this stuff, you, like the growth trajectory here, like you're going to go further, but it's going to take a period of time because people are going to have to leave at this point. And like even those jobs, like we've already been acquired, like they, they really just believed in me to have potential to build my own thing. And they've, they've also backed that up and are avid supporters of Endgame. Um, still to this day, Kevin Lynn and Shipman and all these guys have done great things for, for, for me um, on so many levels. I'm so thankful to have had them in my life and so appreciate to have their support with Endgame. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of encouraged to go do that by by these guys. And I took their advice very seriously because they've never stood me wrong and just really, just really committed to it. The transition has been an interesting one. It's um, the way your mind flips when you go from working for someone else to running the business is, is it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. You go from being like, yes, Christmas time. I can't wait to have two <laughs> weeks off to like crap Christmas time. No one responds to emails and no one's doing anything. Everyone's advertising budgets are spent now for the rest of the year as of a few weeks ago, usually, or about a month ago. And like, there's really like, you're like craving for the next thing to do because it's, it's your livelihood. Um, uh, it's super uh, rewarding and fulfilling to know that like we have, as many employees as we have and like Endgame provides for their lively their lives and pays their bills and keeps food on their table and takes care of their family's health insurances and all these things. There's, I take a lot of pride and joy in that. Um, 
but there's a, it's, it's just it's the, the mindset change and adjustment of like working for everyone else and running the show and having to protect your shareholders equities and maximize them. Is, it's different and it is a transition for sure. And, and what's your experience here, Bino? Tell me a little bit about your business background and you know, running because it is, you know, you can have skill sets, ideas, vision, you know, it's important to have a good team, to have people apart that can make it all kind of come together. What's your what's your actual business um, sort of background and, and, and or is it more so that you just you know how to em- employ and to, to put the right people in the right roles and you focus more on what you're what you're good at or do you do a little of everything? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that I've gotten really one of the things I've really excelled at in the past couple of years is I've realized the things I'm not good at. Like I'm not an operational guy. So one of my other mentors, a guy named Alan Mazer, who was an executive over at Razor, I worked with him mm-hmm. many, many years ago. Um, Alan is a really good operational guy and understands all logistics and all the things needed to keep a business above board and exactly where it needs to be and Stuff, which is actually way more complicated than people realize. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and he's great at that. I recognize him not. So we brought him on board full time, thankfully, and he handles all of the operational stuff and make sure that's all working. Um, I'm definitely, uh, when it comes to what I, like sell out business is, is, is vision, funding, and execution. I'm so, like a lot of people have really good ideas and just don't even try to execute them. And if they do, they don't put forth the effort required to succeed. If I'm committed to doing something, I'm committed to doing the thing and I will execute the thing. And I, I, once I decide I'm going to do something, I'm I'm all in on accomplishing that thing, right? Whether it's poker or work or whatever it is. So um, I think one of the things that I excel is like, this is the vision. We're going to achieve this vision. This is what it takes. I'm not good at ABCDEFG things and achieving this vision. So we hire these people that are go get them. Um, Right. But definitely, definitely a lot of that. And did you, what, what was the most for you when you left? What was the most, I guess, uh, scary, overwhelming sort of like, all right, like, hey, I'm leaving a paid job, benefits, this, that, like from a major company. And now I'm doing my own kind of thing. Like how, how much pre-planning did it take? And how hard was that to sort of dive in and take on that responsibility? People count on you now. You have to deal with this. And also that not no, no guaranteed I guess salary, if you will, or or no guarantee that yeah, you generate money. Yeah, I mean, so so I, I'm like when it, that was very very weird because you go from like just Amazon's never going to miss a paycheck to if, if anyone ever didn't get paid in Endgame, it's only going to be me. Um, and I am very much so not one of the highest paid people in Endgame. There's other people in Endgame that make have a much higher salary than I do. Um, that's one of the reasons why I play poker is to supplement my current life and make sure everything still is is good and my money is more on the equity side of the business, obviously, which is where I want it to be because I believe in the vision and the company. It's done well so far. I'm very thankful to have had the opportunity to fund it. Um, it, it there's uh, not only is it like, do you not have your guaranteed paycheck? It's that you have to guarantee everyone else's paycheck. So your overhead can go from like, for numbers sake and simplicity, these are not the accurate ones, but like you can go from spending 10 K a month or 5 K a month on your, all your bills to all of a sudden you're spending 150 K a month. And if you don't make your 150k a month, then you don't crack your nut and your bank account depletes. And as soon as you start to see your bank account deplete once or twice, it gets really stressful really fast. And you got to like really get your ass in gear and make things happen because that's that's the wrong direction and that's not good, obviously. So there's a there's a lot of pressure when you run a business to perform and succeed, and it takes a lot of commitment and just sheer will to not allow 
it to fail or yourself to fail, I think. Interesting. It's very interesting because it is, it is just a, it's a, it's a complete 180. It's just such a different, different deal. And I think, you know, it's an interesting perspective and way of wording it about Christmas time because it is, it is completely different. And, you know, it's also when you have, it's important to motivate people that work with you and, and be a part of stuff because ultimately employees are in general, it's like, if you have your vision, your dream of your company, you want to incentivize and have people excited and, and be a part of it. Right. Because it's otherwise like, I just sort of like, all right, I'm off the grid. I know I'm getting my check and that's that. And, you know, it's just, it's tricky, right? It, it takes a lot of leadership and understanding and a business is, um, you know, the ones that are successful, the major companies and obviously Bezos and like, these are crazy stories and they start in their garage and it starts, but it takes a lot, a lot of luck, but a lot of hard work and doing the right things and, and, and finding ways to make people excited, motivated and believe in your vision. So, um, one, one of the most challenging things around the business is hiring, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the hardest part about hiring that a lot of people miss is you have to actually find people that understand and believe in your vision. If they don't, if you, you have to find people that understand and believe in your vision and believe in you as a leader. If they don't do those three things, they're going to struggle as an employee. And it might not be because they're not great employees. It's because for someone to succeed in the company, they have to believe in the leadership. They have to believe in what they're working for is for the greater good of something. And they have to be excited about it. And it's so easy to like find a candidate with a good resume that just needs a job and it pays well. So let's do it. But that's not the, not the, not the decision to make usually. Right. So it's, it's so hard, <laughs> but For it's sure. so much fun and so fulfilling. For sure. Well, I, I, I want to make sure I give a reminder to everyone that there is a $50 cash that is going to be given away at the end of the stream. You're eligible by following the instructions here. I believe Scott did say you'll match that. So the two winners yeah. who at the end of the stream. And I give you before here, we'll cover a couple more things and then we'll dive into the questions. And there's a lot. So we will want to spend some time sort of at the end end here and uh, give you guys a, a chance to, to win on that. So don't uh, don't forget to do that. And thank you, Scott, for, for matching that. Nice $100 giveaway total today. Um, let's see. Are we... How are you on time before? Because I know, so we'll make sure you get some questions. Because you're playing today, right? Is the Bellagio Main starting today out there? Yeah, or? I'm already reg. It started at noon. Do you know or have an idea like what time they'd like pull your chips off the table? I don't mind blinding out for a bit. Um, it's probably I have like no, I have I'll no just show idea. up when I show up and it'll be fine. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll probably have like 10, 15 more minutes. Is probably okay. And yeah, let's let's, let's, be a late. let's dive into these because I do. There's a lot, and I mean, you could always answer too if you see a couple that we don't get to, and you and you want to answer uh, on there yourself and maybe at the table. But I know you've been your focus, clear intention, crushing the game. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to promise anyone that he's there. There's a lot, so we'll try to cover as many rapid fire questions here as we can. And I think see the oh, other thing I want to ask about was your career is that before Twitch and going up how you found poker, but also you were wrestling. Is that right? Is that the main sport you did, or what other sports did you did you play growing up? Yeah, I wrestled my whole life. I fought for a few years too, um, but mostly wrestling. Um, I got into poker. Um, I ended up being sick. Um, I want to get all the specifics of it, but I had some seizures and stuff like that. And obviously you can't fight if you have anything with your brain or it's not smart. So I stopped doing that and I got into poker and video games more competitively. And I discovered poker living with a bunch of StarCraft pros. That was like our post, um, their post-practice, my post-workday thing was to like watch poker after dark see how cool Phil Locke was and then go try to be like Phil Locke basically I, every night. I do see that you have noted that Helmuth, uh, Locke and Antonius were your favorite players to watch. I believe growing up, if that's true. Or Yeah. When I started playing, I thought Antonius, table image is just like so sick and amazing. And 
watching Phil lose his mind was hilarious. And Phil Locke, just he's such an enigma that like he made the game. I don't think I ever watched an episode of any televised poker thing ever that Phil Locke was on that wasn't just amazing. <laughs> I remember the first time I played with him, I was like so fanboy and excited. And he was so nice and giving me such good advice. And like, uh, it was, the game was a game I should have never been playing. It was so, so much bigger than I should have been playing, but he was so cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's a great guy. That's uh, all those guys, man. A lot of Phil's in poker. I'd say Phil and Dan, right? Those are the two most, you know, yeah. you can't just say Phil and poker. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot, a lot of Phil's, a lot of Dan's, but um, for sure. All right, well, let me, let me ask a couple more and then I'll do two more questions myself and then we'll take a few and then you just, you know, we'll do a, we'll do the giveaway and get you out of here. Hopefully not too late to the uh, tournament. We actually covered about your, when you won your second bracelet, you mentioned you worked hard. You did cover PO and kind of how you were able to show that was, you had some people kind of show you how to utilize that, that tool. Um, let's see. Do you believe that controversy is good for your brain or image uh, publicly? Good, bad, with, with public, they say no, no news is bad news. Like, what do you think about um, this whole thing? Because it's kind of unsettling to have hear these type yeah. of things and to get to clarify them. What do you think about that for for in general? Like to have this type, this what's going on. And- That's a really good question. Um, uh, people talking about you if you're trying to build a brand is a good thing. Um, it, it takes this something that I I'm not the best at is I definitely care too much about what people think still a lot of the times. And something I've really spent a I, I need to continue to work really hard at caring less about what people think about me. It's, it's like, and, and, it, and if you care too much, it can kind of eat you alive. And when this all first happened, I was definitely at a point where it was like eating me alive. Um, it's something I've worked on a lot. So I think that controversy can be great for your brand as long as you can stomach the controversy. Um, that is, that's well, well, very well said. I'm going to, I'm going to segue now into questions for, from, from the chat. ghost of M smart. He always gets in, right. Gets it in at the end. gets it on the top of the thing. So my, my man, lead moderator, the, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Man, he's been around forever. He's the guy, you know, you know, him. you know him from day one. Here yeah. you go. So he's asking, do you think Twitch is poised to continue growing? Or if you think alternative platforms will grow faster? I think Twitch will continue to grow for sure. And actually, we saw, that, we saw that when Ninja and Shroud left, Twitch's minutes watched went up. Mm-hmm. When their biggest creators left at one time, their minutes watched went up. And what, what that tells me is that people are more platform um, loyal than they are creator loyal, which is really unreal to think about. Um, and I think it's kind of like YouTube with VOD. Like YouTube with VOD has always continued to grow and other platforms just became less and less relevant. I think Twitch will continue to do the same with live. So, so Ludwig, who was on the, who's been on this podcast, he's a, a major name in streaming right now, one of the biggest. I saw he signed a deal exclusive with YouTube. I, I could you maybe, because honestly, I don't even fully understand. I know when I'm like a sp- uh, sponsored Twitch streamer, there's there's like there's agreements right where you're like not streaming on their platform. Some people do the multi-platform where they stream the same time, but then they can't yeah. be they can't monetize. Could you explain why Ludwig would maybe he's crushing Twitch, getting subscriptions? what they might be doing to allure him there, what a deal might look like and why someone would can do that. And the pluses and minuses. Yeah. Basically just, I asked you 40 things. Just tell me why, like all this. You know, as a disclaimer, Ludwig is someone that Endgame has worked with a lot. Okay. Um, I don't know any specifics to his YouTube deal. We did not broker that deal for him or with him. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to guess though, usually what happens is a, a platform like YouTube will make him some kind of a minimum guarantee over X minimum guarantee over Y number of years that make if he made no sponsorship revenue, this still puts him at a point in life where he's just stoked. 
like he's fine, he's great, maybe he never has to work again kind of a situation, or he's fine, he's great for the next 15 years. Um, usually when people leave, it's for some sort of deal like that to where like, if this is the only money I make, I'm doing wonderful. Um, and there's a lot of pros and cons as creators. You saw as soon as Ninja and Shroud had the opportunity to come back to Twitch, they came back to Twitch when they went to Mixer, their viewership numbers decreased over time and their Twitch numbers were definitely impacted by that over time because a lot of their core viewers found other people to, to the other creators they really enjoyed and they stayed with other creators. Um, so I think that Ludwig probably just got some deal that made his life like just figured out forever if it wants to be and, and, and good for him, man. That's, that's pretty incredible. I couldn't imagine like, you know, when we started working with Ludwig, I think he averaged like a hundred or 200 viewers or something. And I couldn't imagine averaging a hundred viewers on Twitch and potentially looking on a deal for like, you know, some absurd number of millions of dollars that says like, Hey, the, the life's just fine. That's probably what happens. Something like that. Right. Yeah. It's uh very interesting. Add to that, usually what happens is his side of the deal is he has to stream X number of hours per month or week or something like that. To- it's, it's interesting. You said that too. Well, the, the whole thing is, is fascinating because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Twitch and YouTube and these things because, you know, myself on i get that's like one of the most common asked questions just like of course everyone wants to know your age your address your your social security number and how much you make all these questions are very personal but when people are like oh on twitch you know how much do you make how much do you make on youtube it's actually the numbers aren't really that um drastic but it's more about exposure content similar to somerville like with sponsorships and you know you're you're looking excuse me you're looking to get out your your brand and put something out there and then you know, capitalize on, on other areas. It's not necessarily like you're not going to get rich off of streaming from Twitch or uh, YouTube. And I think Scott may have frozen or cut off here. Or no. there? Oh, he was like a, sta- yeah, a statue. He's like, no, I thought I literally saw you like, like, pause, and I was like, oh, I might have lost it. He's like, I don't know. I hear this boring stuff. But um, yeah, so anyway, that, that's like, that is uh, generally, there are some people that can, of course, the numbers are so drastic and so high and consistent that it's it's true. But within the poker category in particular, there's not many that I think are making like strictly from Twitch revenue. It's more about, you know, hoping to get some sponsorship and deals and, and other opportunities or affiliate deals where there can be some lucrative mm. money. Um, okay. So that's covered a lot in one thing there. We'll take a few, we'll take a bit more. And then again, Scott, we don't want to let him blind out. He is, although he's, Fresh off a couple W. How, what time did you start those two tournaments? Let's talk about that. Like, were, were 5K, 6 max? Was a hand one? The one drop? Was it one last hand, first hand, somewhere in between? How did you get in? When did you get in? How many blinds? 5K, 6 max, hand one. One drop towards the end of day one. Towards the end of day one, there was a point where I had, like, four big blinds or something, a little one drop, actually, towards the end of day one. Wow. And then, like, this one guy was just determined to crush me. And it, he just, I just had a good card, so it worked for me. Didn't, it didn't go didn't go his his way. Um, uh, have you thought about writing a book about poker or life? I mean, someone's asking about bu- a book. Is there like any any kind of does that interest you at some point in your life? Obviously, we're, pr- we're pretty young, relatively, right? People do write books. Yeah. Never like is that something they'd be like, hey, down the road, would you be interested in writing a book? Maybe now, ten years, five years, twenty, or even have you thought about that? I think a book about life would be more interesting. I, I think like being good at poker or competent at poker and knowing how to study and stuff is so different than like knowing how to like explain advanced concepts or concepts in a way that the world will easily understand. I think those are very different skill sets. And to be honest with you, I don't think I'm very good at explaining a lot of the things that I study. There's things that I just like know are right because Pat tells me it's right that I kind of don't completely understand always. Mm-hmm. myself so how can i educate people on those things and i think teaching is really hard 
that's why I have a lot of respect for the guys that have like good training sites. Like you talked about Doug earlier, like like Upswing creates good educational content that teaches people how to play the game. Like that's that that that's a pretty impressive feat. <laughs> it's a hard game to understand. So yeah, for sure. There's a, there is some really good 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 good. Uh, that's a good point too. Like a lot of times, the best players or good you know they're not necessarily good coaches or or good good orders of the of what they're doing. So yeah, I think that's that's important. Magnus Carlson has a chess coach. There's no way his chess coach is beating him in chess, but he still is able to help him grow as a player in chess. You know, it's, it's very interesting. That is interesting. That is that is definitely that is definitely that's a good way to to, to the good perspective, good good person to use as a gauge on that. Um, do you ever wear the bracelets? I mean, it's new. You got two. No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> right. I, I like Patrick Leonard was talking about this, and I actually. I mean, you, he was saying it could even be viewed as cringy or whatever, but I like the idea of trophies, you know, like I like the idea of if you win the big 109 or, you know, the, the gladiator on party or ace, you know, the, the, the venom, like I, I like the idea of trophies, athletes get trophies, there's awards, there's accolades. I think it's cool to have trophies. Now, of course, at some point it could get a little ridiculous, but it's hard to win a tournament. I mean, look, I it's play super hard. I stream a lot. How often do you actually take first? So like whether, you know, you can make your own cutoff if you're playing $2 buy-ins, Maybe it's X. If you're playing, you know, $500 buy-ins, maybe you only, if it's, you know, there's only 20 per in the tournament, maybe you don't do it. But I think that would be cool to like, you know, who doesn't like trophies, man? I remember playing soccer growing up. I, I have a trophy case from when I was, you I have my trophy behind you trophy. right now. Yeah, that's from running up, you know, that is <laughs> the amount of money that, that, that I won in that size. It's maybe the most, most disproportional thing ever. Cause that looks like, you know, WPT, maybe like 500 feet. But no, that's like, that was probably like, I don't even want to say it wasn't a lot, but it was a five hundred dollar uh, PLO event at Run Up Reno, and it was against the guy Kevin, who's been crushing. I think he won a couple of bracelets. He's a really good mixed game player. He won a few this, this WSOP as well. Anyway, so yeah, I got that loud and proud. I actually got to redo my mic. You know, I need that. I need to like switch it where it goes because I, I this should be yeah, it should be clear. Sure. I feel like I'm obstructing. Yeah, a running up trophy is pretty sick, dude. I don't, I don't have any of those. The run it up are nice. I would trade. I got to say, I love Jason. I love run it up, but I would, I would trade for a, a WSOP bracelet. Um, Matt, I mean, I, I got seconds. You're right. No one remembers. I, I need, I, I'm excited to get to, to Bally's and, uh, and, and, and Paris, you know, I want to get into a new venue and maybe it's just, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, all right. ACR. Tell me about this. We got a question from Chris Robinson. What was it about ACR that made you sign with them? And are you, I mean, you rep them, you do some business with them. Are you officially an ACR pro or affiliated? What's your, no, I'm not, I'm actually not signed with any sites. Um, that would not be probably like make sense for business. Um, mm-hmm. I'll always rep them. Phil Nagy is like literally just been such a wonderful <laughs> advocate and peer and friend. And they're a big client friend game. They, they, they've, they've been fantastic to work with. And um, if, if they're going to, they continue to support uh, my, my business and my employees, I'm going to continue to support them in every way I can add any value to them. So if you see me wearing an ACR patch or an ACR hat, it's more like they support me and things that I care about outside of poker so much that like if I can provide them more value value by potentially winning something that people watch, I'm definitely going to do everything I can to help help ACR as much as possible. But I'm not officially a, 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 a team pro or anything like that. Nice, right, fair enough. Yeah, I I I would say, and I said this many times, like in terms of poker, people that do a lot for poker care, love the game. You know, I feel very fortunate with being with party and Rob Young, who, you know, brought me in and he's a guy you can talk to. He takes ideas. He wants, he goes out of his way. He's looking to do the best. And I, you know, Phil is someone I've gotten to know in the last five years as well. 
and, and met him several times. And I get that energy from him. Like, you just know he loves poker. He's doing what he can. You know, it's not easy to be in charge. As you know, of a company, there's a lot of people will say or disagree or you get a lot of, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, but yeah, you know, I think Phil's one of those guys you could put on, on Mount Rushmore of poker for loving the game, wanting the best for the game and looking to, to be innovative and, and go forward. So I got I to gotta back you up on that for sure. I agree. Yeah, um, Phil Nagy and Rob Young love poker a lot, and it's super sick. Yeah, the, and, you know, there's a lot of great people in the industry, and I know Ishai. I never got to meet. I heard was just like all time, like just great and outgoing, and you know, uh, outward focused, and just does a lot for the game. And I know at I, I, again for my personal who I know who I've met who I've worked with or done anything with that those guys I would put there. Right there. Uh, what percentage of luck do you think is important for success in the game? How do you how do you kind of just di- di- so, separate luck and skill in poker? Mm, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, <clears throat> like volume beats variance. So like if you play enough, you should just win eventually. Um, when I'm grinding a lot of cash online, I like don't really have. Uh, usually, we'll have a winning month if I'm grinding online. So I would put that. Like if I'm just grinding a ton of cash. So like luck is definitely important because you need to run good in like your big spots in order to win tournaments and stuff. But volume is what beats variance. So just play enough. If study enough, get good enough to where you're a winning player, and then just put in the volume, and good things will happen. And luck Very matters nice. less. Very nice. Favorite Twitch streamers. I mean, it's a big, big thing. Not just Death gross poker. Done. Wait, hold on. I wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> wasn't Let me get back to the scene. Okay. <laughs> who do you like I, i'm sure same thing as me i don't have i love streaming i love doing content but i'm not like in my free time i'm really not watching streams but i think mm-hmm. part of being what you do part of it or when you were working with twitch to keep an eye see what's happening what's going on maybe give me a few that you know if you do have any time or you think just over the years that you've seen anyone styles that not necessarily in poker who do you who do you kind of like wow they're a great streamer from what you know or hear or even yeah, others sure. So, so I actually don't watch a lot of poker content on Twitch anymore. Right. Um, I really love Fortnite. I think the game is like the hardest game ever. I like to play it and just go get killed and die. So mm-hmm. I watch a lot of like lot, like Fortnite pros. Um, a, a lot. They like it just blows me away how talented they are at this game. It's so damn hard. Um, so most of my favorite streamers would probably be in like games like more on the gaming side of things like Fortnite. Um, for sure. Um, cool. That makes sense. Ask Scott if he was able to sleep the night after winning his second bracelet. If you just celebrated so much, this huge achievement uh, all night long. Yeah, maybe tell me, tell me this was first, the first and the second, considering they're so close together. It's in the same series. You know, the first one's got to be so meaningful. But what, what did each mean to you and, and how, how do they how do they compare? So I went out one time, didn't get that crazy. And I really haven't celebrated yet. I kind of wanted to like. When I put together my like series, what I was going to play, I included five diamond in my schedule. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not done until five diamonds over. Um, so I haven't really gone crazy or anything yet. When I won my first bracelet, I went to dinner with Anthony. The coolest part of my first bracelet, by the way, was Anthony who's one of my best friends in the world. Like he won a bracelet like 20 minutes before me, 20 minutes away from me wow. or something like that. So that was pretty epic. So I went to dinner with him and some friends. I literally had like one cocktail and got my food to go and came home to get ready for the next day. And the second bracelet was pretty much the same thing like like i took a day off i think that was the one time i took a day off in the series and went out and said okay time to go back and do it again very cool yeah I th- actually we were at the we were at a final table of that the one drop i was in the plo and i saw yeah, you and we were, we were like away from each other it was so sick yeah. some guys win some guys get you know seventh everyone's got a style but final <laughs> table. um 
Uh, quickly, have you ever visited Brazil? Uh, a very long time ago, yeah. Long time ago. I haven't okay. really done anything fun there. I need, oh, I need to go back. Okay. Uh, favorite place to play poker? My office. <laughs> no, um, if it's not a poker go, is, is, is incredible. Aria is incredible. Sean McCormick is like the man and just runs such a damn good room and Charles such a good TD. But it's, it's really hard not to want to play at Aria. I haven't played at Bellagio in years, so I'm excited to be in, in the streets in the Bellagio in, in the B in a bit. That'll be fun. I haven't played there in a long time. Um, yeah, just, I don't know. Like, wherever like the funnest atmosphere is, I've had a lot of fun in different home games and just like rooms where people are laughing. Anywhere people are having a good time. Very nice. Uh, any tournament you're looking forward to in 20? Like, what is there anything goal-wise for the next year that you want to do, like, to play? Is there some area or, like, a series of Tritons? Or is there anything that you're looking at that you haven't done before that you would like to do? Um, yeah, I definitely am going to play more, like, the high rollers and probably a couple of the super high rollers, and I'm excited for that. Um, that being said, like, I don't really know what my goals are for now. For next year i haven't really decided any of that stuff so we'll see how it shakes out and what i decide i really want to do and um generally speaking one thing i've learned is that i need to make goals that are more catered towards my overall happiness in life and like just playing poker tournaments make me super happy i'm not sure i'll know that in like three weeks after i take a few weeks off after after we finish up five diamond um and hopefully have a good run there then i'll be able to decide if that's if that's the thing i want to continue to do to work towards my overall life happiness so then I'll figure that out. But definitely some super high rollers and some high rollers. I think the Triton stuff in Bali would be super, super sick. Um, yeah. I definitely saw that and was like, damn, I should probably do something there. Um, that being said, like, I don't even, I haven't even looked at the schedule, but I know those buy-ins are pretty, pretty wild. Um, yeah, that's, that's one on my radar as well. I'm likely, uh, you know, I honestly with the world right now, though, who knows what's going to happen, right? Cause it's a bit, bit unclear. I've heard a lot of people getting COVID, whether it's the new variant or whatever, it sort of seems like it's shooting up and, it's a bit confusing, right? Because in countries and their rules, regulations, how they how they perceive stuff, what percent are vaccinated in other countries, and how they look at things. So it's it's a bit it's a bit confusing. Hopefully that we move past that and things move forward. But I think it is a little pl- hard to plan right now um, with the world and its state, and it's just sort of uh, not fully back to to uh, neutral, I guess, or organized in that sense. So. For sure. Um, all right. Well, Scott, I know you got to play. I know you got to get running. I am going to do a giveaway here. We're going to do two winners and the, I will go ahead and load that up and then let you tell me when to do the select it. So there's 83 eligible people. It's going to screen for bots and download the retweets. I'm going to ask you to tell me when, and then we will be messaging both those winners uh, for the $50. So I appreciate you matching that. Thank you again. Thank you for the time. Thank you for being a part of this this process and uh yeah, second time on the pod two bracelets you now we can make a rule for every bracelet we do a pod so you know hopefully many more. um that seems that seems seems super reasonable uh any other any other any other things you want to close with uh you're playing the five diamond anywhere else people can sweat you watch you what are your your yeah. uh, just my, my, my twitter my twitter you can see what i'm doing there and like occasion i'll probably keep that for a while now as long as it doesn't like affect my life negatively and uh um, yeah, I might stream a little bit of cash or something at some point. If, if people want to see it, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, other than that, like, thanks for having me on here, man. Like, this is you're, you're you're someone that's known me for a long time. Like I said, for for better or for worse, and seeing a lot of the growth and growth and things that have happened. And what you, you knew me when I was like the worst poker player around, pretty much. So 
And uh, it's, it's, I don't know about that. Cool. I don't know about that. I remember we had a deep run on on ACR. I think that was you were you were like it was 2016, and you were making some some big runs. And I, I don't know about worst poker player around. We didn't play much together, but yeah, obviously your 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 trajectory is 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 high. And again, of course, there's some luck, but winning two bracelets, you know, I don't know. There's not many guys that are winning two bracelets. You're firing in some high stakes ones as well, getting deep and mixing it up. So obviously, you're you're playing a high level and. Very cool, man. Great to see your success and, and business and otherwise and poker. And, and yeah, man, keep uh, keep moving forward. And like I said, when I hear people I respect say negative things, and then also I hear people I respect validating things aren't true, want to have you on and and let you kind of say your, your piece on it all. And um, yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that a lot. Thank you. So uh, cool, man. All right, well, let's do it. You tell me when. We're going to do this right now. So you just tell me when to pick and we're going to run it. Okay. Uh, go ahead now. There it is. Choose winner. I am sure. Should be two winners, and then there they are. Look at that, just like that. We got we got two winners, fifty dollars each. I will direct message both of you when we hop off here. And uh, Scott, good luck at the Bellagio. I love this tournament. I actually was debating coming back myself, but I'm five months on the road. I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm, I'm actually got I'm I'm leaving again soon, but uh, I'm I'm back home. I'm not going to be there. Good luck to you. I hope you crush it. I hope you have a big big score. And also, last thing, State Kings, do you? You posted some action on the WSOP. Do you have any up for the Bellagio or will you be doing that more for like fan engagement, any of that stuff coming up or, or tell me about definitely, that. Definitely like random high rollers and stuff. I really believe in like selling things in packages rather than like singular events. I think it's so, cause it's so hard to like one tournament has so much variance and I would feel bad if I like, I, I, I sold for just five diamond and not with other events at once. So I, so what I'll usually try to do is lump things together. So like if you go play Triton, there'll definitely be something up there for, you know, for that. that that's interesting you say that. Cause like on, on Twitch, I think it's the most fun thing to do is sell action and people have a piece, but you're, you're right. Cause like it's kind of annoying if you, you know, you're playing 12 tournaments, but you, you buy the one piece of one or you get like two out of three or, or five yeah. out of 12 and now they lose. So when someone's streaming, it's so different though, because they're a career yeah. and you're like a part of the journey with them. I'm, I'm not streaming. I'm just like sitting there playing and like, I'm not even tweeting. Yeah. Updates. So like, it, it, like literally, literally I, I view like that as like, they're doing it for their entertainment to have more additional an added value to their entertainment. And if you're buying pieces of me, you're expecting to make money. Yeah. And, it's, it's also different because you can't really like, Oh, I'm going to play 10 grand action. And like, you're on every site and it's just like, you couldn't really keep track of it that way. It'd be really hard so to hard, know yeah. exactly how you're doing and whatever. But listen, Scott, I'm gonna let you run. I don't want you to be too late. Thank you so much. I'm glad we got to do this. I, I did choose the winners. I will be seeing you guys very soon. I got the co-founder of DraftKings, Matt Kalish, next week on the pod, as well as Yuri, the Brazilian superstar of Silent Party. So I will uh, I'll be checking in with you guys that. I'm going to be streaming the Party Millions later this month uh, as well on the, the 5K 5 million. And I will see you all very soon. Thank you, Scott, for your time. Best of luck today, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Peace. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.